everybody. I'm Vicki. I'm Lynn. I'm Bree. I'm Chelsea. And we are telling on ourselves. And we are so very excited because our podcast would not exist as it does today if it weren't for this guest. And um, and the bonus is that he's our friend. And I'm going to introduce someone that is near and dear to my heart and to all of our hearts. And he's been a big supporter of the show and listened to us on his travels around the world. So, Andy, thank you for being here. Woo! Good morning. Good morning, everybody. Hi, Vicky. Hi, Lynn. Hi, Bree. Hi, hi, Chelsea. My name's Andy, and I'm an alcoholic, and really happy to be a guest on the podcast. We're so, We're happy, so to have nice you, to have you. I feel like it's been a long time coming. So, woohoo! Yeah, we uh, we, we truly. Andy has been a, a fan from the beginning. Oh, you're welcome. I was. Uh, so thrilled that you ladies were taking on the t- challenge of uh, creating the podcast and reaching out to to people to individuals that if there was even something I could do to help it was uh, it felt like a small token of appreciation well we more than appreciate it I can speak for myself I can't speak for anyone else but oh we sure do absolutely um, you know, I, I actually, I'm stuttering for some reason, Vicki and Bree had met Andy before I had, and, um, cause they went to a different meeting where they had met him. And I remember Andy, the first time I met you, I'm like, what a charming, sweet man. And you know, the accent doesn't hurt at all because that we are so here in the U S we're so <laughs> enamored with the British accent, but getting to know you, Andy has been one of the most special pleasures of my life, really, because you're outside, you're inside completely matches your outside oh thank you lynn and i i can tell you ladies that it wasn't always that way my <laughs> outside certainly didn't match my insides for many many years first chelsea has our segment of first thought wrong hi guys hi everybody um yeah there's so many but but this one was a good one this was pretty relevant for for for, the, for our time here um, I had a close friend that had called me up to let me know uh, that she um, tested positive for COVID and we had seen each other a few days before. And my, of course, immediate first thought wrong was, what about me? You know, what about me? And, you know, oh, now I've got to let my employer know. And, you know, I have to, to let my family know. And it was me, me, me. I didn't bother to ask, how are you doing? How are you feeling? Any of that. So, um, you know, after after that that conversation that was pretty brief and, you know, I, I made my phone calls, I started thinking about it and realizing that I just, that was not a good way to handle it. And I needed to make amends and, and send a message and just say, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry to just be so abrupt, <laughs> you know, and it, it would just kind of, uh, you know, that I do care about you and just want to make sure you're okay. And it's, and it's not just about me. We are in this together. And, you know, we, we've all got to support each other and give each other some grace that, you know, we, we all are pretty tired, you know, we're coming to the end of the year here. We've been doing this for a long time and it's just a good reminder um, that, you know, just kind of look at myself and say, you know, as well that I, you know, I'm, I'm being a little complacent, but just giving ourselves some grace, I think, and just being able to support each other and, and, uh, you know, that, that we're going to get through this together. So it was a really, it was a good first thought wrong. I was just like, okay, great talking to you. <laughs> I got phone calls to make and realizing I didn't ask, how are you doing? Is your family okay? Um, you know, do you need anything? Can I drop something off? You know, all those things that like normal people do. So, <laughs> but I got, you know, I, I kind of realized it quickly. So I, I feel like I reached out, did my men's and just felt a whole lot better after that. So that, that was a, uh, that was my first thought wrong and second thought wrong and third thought wrong, but I got it right at the end. So thanks guys. Thanks, That's Chelsea. all that matters. I'm sure that everybody would have felt the same way you did, Chelsea. I'm sure everybody would have reacted in a, the ver- a very similar human way, which is the panic, you know, and I'm sure probably she did too when she found out. So it's, second thought wrong or second thought right that's all that matters and it's it's a scary thing you know we're living it's a big question mark and it's it's okay 
It's okay. Um, before we start talking to Andy, um, Vicki challenged me with the definition because this is kind of a different, uh, we don't have a set topic other than we're going to talk to Andy about his journey. And then Brie actually, Brie or Vicki one said, well, we could talk about what high bottom means. And for people that don't know or are not in the program, uh, we have low bottom and high bottom when you finally make that turn to uh, live a life of sobriety. And high bottoms, I think a lot of times are really misunderstood because just because uh, outward appearances seem okay, the inside is still a mess. And that's what we often forget. And I did see this really cool um, kind of Uh, description of a high bottom. It's the external view seems to have healthy relationship with alcohol, but they're living a soulless life. And I really like that. So with no further ado, Andy, oops, take that out. It's easy. (laughs) Sorry, Andy. All right. Well, thanks, Lynn. That's uh, actually incredibly relevant definition because the soulless life was certainly what I was living for the longest possible time. But anyway, so my name is Andy. I'm an alcoholic. Um, thank you all very much for inviting me to be a guest on the show. Uh, I, uh, as you can probably tell from the accent, um, and this is not a fake accent to hide my anonymity, by the way, I think actually it's the opposite. It will give it all away. Um, I've, uh, my sobriety date is, uh, February the 10th, 2010. So I have a few 24 hours under my belt now. Uh, and I was, uh, just, uh, 49 years old when I, I got sober. Um, which means that I'd been, because I started drinking as a teenager, it means that I'd had a very, very long journey uh, through alcohol, and uh, it was by no means exceptional uh, for me. Uh, I uh, I grew up in a, a town where alcohol was everywhere. All my friends drank. We all uh, used to figure out ways to get booze in teen- teenagers and all that stuff, and you guys don't want to hear uh, all of the, the the sordid details, but for years it was fun, and I think that's the most important thing because I believe now that everybody's journey starts with some kind of hook. This disease needs to get you hooked, uh, and for me, I, maybe twenty years, but certainly getting on that way, I, I had a blast. And alcohol was part of all of our social life, everything we did, and it was a blast. Um, but over the years. I noticed that my drinking patterns were different to all of my friends that I'd grown up with and that they could moderate and turn it off if they were driving home, for instance, or if they had kids in the car and I, and I couldn't. Uh, and that made me different, but it didn't make it make my mind or my attitude any difference. And I pressed on regardless. Um, and then coming over to America was was a great opportunity for me to uh, continue that journey. And, and by then, um, I would say that the fun had gone out of drinking for me. Uh, and as I continued through a new career and a new country and meeting new friends and things, I had put on an exterior that was happy-go-lucky and, and smart and driven for business and all of those things that, that embody to me now uh, what a high-bottom drunk was. I was a very, very uh, functional alcoholic. Most people in work just thought I partied a bit harder than they did. Uh, And friends around us in the neighborhood used to welcome us in because I was the life and soul of the party. But they didn't know that I'd probably been drinking before I got there. And I certainly was going to drink long after they'd stopped. Um, and, And that went on for years and years and years. But the consequences of drinking were all around me. Uh, the damage that I was causing to close friends and my my family, my loved ones, was huge. Uh, the neglect to the children, my relationship with my wife uh, was horrible. And I had no self-respect. Deep down, I was a hollow person. I was that soulless individual that you talked about, Lynn. Uh, mm-hmm. And I knew that I had no values, even long before I understood what the words meant, I I could tell you that alcohol was the number one priority in my life. Uh, And I would question whether there was any length that I wouldn't go to, to get alcohol. Uh, And I, I, and it was, it was in a way it was kind of well-intentioned because so much of my life revolved around drinking that I didn't know anything else. And the people around me didn't know any other version of me. Um, There was no, uh, outside interest or, or, or common ground other than alcohol. 
there was nothing in my personality other than alcohol. Uh, and I think that frightened me so much that I just had to keep on the, on the, on the ride, on the journey. Um, but it felt terrible. And towards the end, I, I, was, I just wanted the world to close up on me. And I don't think I ever thought about suicide per se, but I would have been quite happy, re- relieved if something had happened that would have meant the end of my life. I don't think I'd have fought it if, if the doctor had said, you've got six months to live. I'd have gone, whoopee, let's just drink for the next, next six months. Uh, I, I, was, I was ready. Um, and I knew that I was a burden and that my family and, and the people around me would probably be better off without me. Um, but I don't think I ever got to the stage where I contemplated taking my own life. But I did just want the world to close in on me at the end. And uh, that hollow uh, feeling just just plagued me. But then one day uh, it all came crashing down. And, and it, I can tell you, Lynn, you mentioned high bottom, but it didn't feel like a high bottom. It felt like the end of my life. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, my health was terrible. I was down to 145 pounds. I was, I believe me, I'm much more than that now. <laughs> I, uh, I uh, couldn't eat. I wasn't eating any food. I was just drinking. I literally wasn't eating any food. If I went out for dinner, which I did frequently for work, I would move food around my plate and, and pass it on. Oh, try this, try that, and, and find ways to avoid it being obvious. But I was surviving just on, on booze. And, uh, I, I was sweating, I was shaking, I, I was incoherent without a drink. I was drinking in the morning just to get to work. I was drinking during the day to get through the day and driving, picking up liquor on the way home to drink it before I got home so that I could tell my wife I was having my first glass of wine. That, that's the way it was. I was lying through everything I did. Um, and the world came crashing down. And I would love to tell you that it was because I had a, a revelation that this was all morally bankrupt um or that I wasn't the father or the, the husband that I should be but it wasn't any of those things and I'm ashamed to say that it was actually the threat of losing my job that pushed me over the edge and we all have our own ways of getting there and that was mine um but at that point I was absolutely desperate and I would do anything to have got help and fortunately help was there when I needed it and uh, I was able to uh, get into recovery and and go into detox, which is probably the most humiliating thing I've ever done in my life, and then find my way into the program, which is how I met you ladies. No, that's the, that's the journey. How does that You know, um, a lot of times we hear um, that we've been given the gift of desperation, and you just, you um, express that so clearly, but those days before you were to the desperate stage, how did you manage your work life because I was I was a lot very similar to you Andy and that no one knew um they knew that I would have a couple of glasses of wine if we went out to dinner but they didn't know I had to drink before and I had to drink after and at the end had to drink throughout the day just to get through the day how did you keep up that facade with your uh work environment which obviously was extremely important to your livelihood to your family to everything yeah, it's a great question, Lynn, and, I, and it was hard work. I, I would stage things. I would plan accordingly. Um, I would time which flights I would take so I'd have more time in the bar and then I'd arrive wherever I was going late so that I could just go straight to the hotel room so I wouldn't have to meet my colleagues that evening. Um, I, I worked really hard at, at, at keeping that facade going. Um, and apparently, and I've got many good friends who – who now know my situation, who have come to me later in life and said, well, we didn't know you had, a, had that much of a problem. Um, and even the ones who, who did, I don't know whether they knew what to do about it. And because I was still basically doing my job, I mean, I, I never missed a day's work. Um, and I was still producing in sales, you measured by the output. And I was good at it. And I look back and I, I wonder, how did I manage it? I felt like I was hanging on by my fingernails, but somehow I, I did until it all came crashing down. Um, and thank God it did come crashing down. Though you had a high bottom on paper, if you will, though on the outside everything looked good, a bottom is a bottom. And, and to me, it was very similar where on paper everything looked good, but that, that hollow and alone and exhausted and... That feeling, you know, hearing you say, if I heard I have six months to live, I would be okay with that. I mean, that feeling of really 
worthlessness. And I, and I can relate to, I remember I was walking down the hall in my, in my place and the kids room was in front of me in my room. And I just went into my room and I just laid on the bed and I thought they're all better off without me. Every single one of them. I am no good. I am doing no good. I'm worthless. In fact, the only thing that I was doing was bringing in money right? That was the only good I was doing. And I can completely relate, but a bottom is a bottom. And it's, it's, it's a bottom for a reason. It's because you're so desperate and you don't know what to do. And you're stuck in that place where you're, I don't know what to do. And, and I kind of, you know, to get spiritual here, because that's what our program is, but you know, you get to your bottom and the only place you can do is look up. I kind of feel like I fall down an elevator shaft whenever I think of a bottom, you know, and, um, and I'm like down there and the only way I have is to look up and go vertical. And, and I'm grateful for that. And I didn't know that's what I was doing. And I had, I had a sister that, you know, gave me her hand and lifted me out of the hole I was in. Um, and then the program did it, but I, I find that it doesn't matter if it's a low bottom and a low bottom is just so people know is when, you know, you become a lot of times living on the street or, you know, you, you do lose all those things. You're in jail. You, lose, yep, you, you lose everything. So though I wasn't there, though, I didn't have a DUI, though, I didn't have all that stuff. I was empty and scared and, and broken, broken. So so I can relate. And then what, what I'd like to know, Andy, is when you got out of, I want you to tell a little bit about how you went from detox to recovery, what that looked like when you walked into recovery and how you felt <laughs> for new people. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I did do detox and, and uh, when you, I'm sure there's people listening who've, who've done it. And I went into detox and the door clicked behind me and I realized there was no handle on the inside. Uh, how, yeah, how did I end up? Don't you know who I am? How did I end up in this situation? And of course, now I look back and go, I know exactly how I ended up in this situation and God's fingerprints were all over it. Um, but then a few days later, of course, with a few days of not drinking and some some uh, Valium to calm me down and to get me through the detox process. And now I'm climbing the walls wanting to get out. Uh, and uh, they said, okay, well, we're going to let you out sometime over the weekend. But if you are willing to go straight to the AA meeting that starts at 8 a.m. on Saturday morning, you can leave now. I go, okay. And that honestly was the first time I'd even thought about AA. I, I, I had no concept of what AA was. But at that moment, if they'd have told me to run naked down the down the, the corridor, I'd have done it to get out of that place. So I dressed quickly and they gave me a folder full of notes and said, we'll see you in a couple of hours at the first of the uh, intensive outpatient meetings. But in the meantime, get your ass down to the, uh, the cafeteria and go to the AA meeting. And I did, and I walked in, and there must have been, it felt like hundreds, but I think there was probably like 60 or 70 people in that cafeteria, and they were slapping each other on the back and hugging each other and laughing and joking, and I'm terrified. And, you know, I'm a confident person. I think of myself, I stand up in front of people and make presentations in front of hundreds of people. I address sales meetings. I interact at all sorts of levels. And I am absolutely quaking in my boots, clutching this piece of paper, these folder papers. And a lovely lady who's still one of my closest friends in this program reached out and literally said, you're in the right place. Come and sit here. I'll take care of you. And I, I could have hugged her there and then because I was just, I, I was so far out of my comfort zone. It was untrue. Which door did you go in? Did you go in the front door or the back around the back? I, I actually walked in the front door. I didn't know I was walking in any door. I just walked in the first door I came to and spoom, you're in the room. And it was just, <laughs> I, I, maybe it's, it's sensory overload. It really is. <laughs> and everybody who's sitting there is like, ooh, fresh meat. We got a newcomer from upstairs. <laughs> like, they can tell that you're coming in from upstairs. Like, clutching that like, folder. That before he runs. <laughs> <laughs> well, and Andy mentioned IOP. And I just want to, for people that aren't in the program and don't understand some of our acronyms, IOP is Intensive out, Outpatient Program. And a lot of us go through that and we go through that to kind of 
bridge the gap from, you know, help us learn how to live this life. And I think for me, I went and the best thing I learned is was about the scientific disease of the program. And then you guys got your hands on me and helped me through my everyday life. Yeah, I, I would agree, Ricky. I think that there's the medical journey for me was important because I actually thought that somebody somewhere along the way from the healthcare profession was going to be able to give me uh, an injection or a pill or psychotherapy or something that was going to fix the problem so that I could go back and drink. Um, it actually didn't occur to me till weeks and weeks after I had got sober that there wasn't a way back to drinking like a normal person. I can't remember when that dawned on me, but it, but it was not. It was certainly not on my radar that I would have to stop drinking. I just wanted to get back to the the guy who was twenty years old who could blow it, drink and blow it off or something, the party animal. And of course, I I, I couldn't. There was no way back. It was uh, it was a one way street. But I didn't want to accept that, and I and it took a long time before I, I was willing to admit. Uh, that this was a lifetime commitment uh, in a good way, in a good way. And I think that was because if I'd thought of it that way at day one, I may not have done it. I, I probably wouldn't have done it. Who knows? I, I can't say for sure. But that was my coping mechanism. And it was later in the program when, when I knew more about AA and I had a sponsor that it finally real, that dawned on me that that was it. And actually, I was quite relieved. So you were just living one day at a time in the beginning, right? You didn't yeah. get too ahead of yourself and down the road. And it was just, today I'm sober, today I'm sober. And then I kind of had the same thing, you know, happen to me. Cause then I had a, you know, I didn't want to start thinking too much about being sober forever. Cause that was like a really scary thing. And that was, you know, I, I could spin in that and go off the rails. Um, so I, had to keep myself in today every day. I just got to be sober today. Got to be okay. Wake up. Still want to be sober. Great. You know, until I remember I was, when I was doing my third step, um, with a sponsor that was like, by the way, you're pushing all your chips in now. You're, you're not drink. You're making a commitment that you're not drinking the rest of your life one day at a time. I'm like, Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Try not to think about that too much. One day at a time. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right, Brie. That's exactly the way I was for, from a sobriety point of view. But actually, from a from a life point of view, I didn't want to do that. I was actually making plans to get back to work. I was I was getting back on the emails and calling the sales team and things and trying trying to get back in the rhythm. And, and people around me, both medically and uh, program wise, were saying, "Back off, stop, give yourself time." Um, and I, I know it's wise advice, but I didn't want to take it. Uh, and I think that was me still fighting against the the stark reality of what had just happened. And, you know, Vicky mentioned the elevator shaft. Uh, that's a great analogy of my life that I'd hit the bottom of an elevator shaft. Of them. But looking back, I now realize that there was still a lot of floors I could have gone to. And I've seen other examples of, of individuals who didn't stop there and carried on down. Um, so I'm just very grateful that I was able to get off at that floor. <laughs> Even though it felt like the basement, I now realize it was it was way up there because um, there, there was a lot of places I could have gone, would have gone and probably deserved to go that uh, I was able to avoid by getting off the ride when I did. So fast forward, Andy, to today when you have a very demanding job that you're very successful with, you have a family and you are very active in the program. How do you do all of this? I'm, I'm perplexed beyond measure how you do it all. <laughs> <laughs> Which, it's not as glamorous or even as busy as you, as you make it out to be. Uh, but so, so one of the things that I still today and I, I, I've got a few 24 hours, but I, I, I can't do downtime uh, and if I stop and just do nothing whether it be watching the television or, or just trying to be peaceful or, or relaxed then I've got to tell you there's, there's voices in my head that, that start telling me things and and if I let them talk too long or too loud I'll start believing them and they're my voice it's not good things um, I, and one of the ways that I, I manage today uh, not to think about too far ahead is to stay very busy in, in, in what I'm doing. 
And whether that be work or whether it be local uh, interactions, social life, uh, whether it be trying to help other people or program, um, whatever it is, I feel like I've got to be all in. Um, there's also a degree of, of obsessive, compulsive behavior that creeps in as well. And I don't think that that's a, I'm not talking about a clinical problem. I'm just talking about a fact that I, I if I'm doing it, I want to do it as well as I can or as, as much as I can. Um, so I, it's, to me, it's a coping mechanism to be busy, but it's also part of feeling valuable, um, casting my mind back to the fact that I was certainly of no value when I was drinking. And that also helps then keep that separation between current and future state where I hope I will be with the grace of God and the, the fellowship of this program and where I know I was and where I was headed without any of that. Well, go ahead. No, you. Oh, I was going to say, you know, it, it's almost like you are living in the moment, in those moments fully. You're able to, to fully be in those moments. And I, and I know you do a lot of really cool stuff, outdoorsy stuff, and you ride a motorcycle or drive. I don't know what you're supposed to say, but, but you know, there's something about that where you have to be there. And when, I don't know about you, but when I was drinking, I couldn't be totally in the moment because I was either checked out or I was thinking about what I was going to be when I would be checked out and I wanted to be checked out. Yeah, I, I wish I could tell you I didn't ride a motorcycle when I was drinking as well, but that's not true. Um, I, I've always enjoyed um, adrenaline-rich environments. And when I was drinking, I would do those things drunk. <laughs> and of course, having having got now the chance to carry on um, and do some of those uh, wild things, whether it be bungee jumping or riding a motorbike or flying a helicopter or, or just trying things, experiencing. And today it feels richer because I, I am actually experiencing it in its rawest form and not in some kind of anesthetized state. Uh, that I used to, but it, it, uh, it I, I, there is a, there is certainly an addictive part of my personality that still enjoys in an, in a, in an addictive way, high adrenaline activities, but I'm also very, very focused. It's hard to be thinking about the future when you're riding a motorbike or it's hard to be overthinking, um, overanalyzing things if you're on a whitewater raft. So it's you've got to be in the moment. So in many ways, it helps be present. And that is something that I really try hard to be today is set aside what's happened before, set aside, to, if possible, what's going to happen tomorrow and focus on, on who I'm with, where I am and what I'm doing. Um, and that's easier when it's a, it's a, a high adrenaline thing to do. But I'm getting old, you know, I can't keep doing this. I need to find other ways to uh, satisfy that bit of obsession. <laughs> well, you know, you said that you're a little bit of the OCD, and I also um, suffer from that. And a lot of times mine stems from needing to control. And that's part of my disease. That was part of my personality that made me drink the way that I drank because I needed to control things. And it sounds like what you're learning, even though you do have your perfectionist little thing tick going on, you still are finding balance and you're finding ways to kind of work the system, if I may, by doing activities that force you to be in the moment, that force you to not be able to think about how you're going to control the outcome but really just work on doing the next right thing which is yeah. really interesting I, that's exactly it Lynn I it, it's hard to it's hard to feel like you're in control when you're strapped to some big guy who's pushing you out of an airplane uh, <laughs> my life in in their hands uh I do want to try to be in the moment um and to be fully present in, and engaged in whatever it is I'm doing um but I'm also a, a, deep down I'm a planner uh, I'm an overthinker, uh, and today at least I recognise that it's it's not it's not gone by any means, but at least I can recognise when I'm doing it. Awesome. Well, and I just you know I think a lot of people try to stay busy to keep the voice uh, voices at bay as well. You mentioned that, um, but you're also you like you 
find a lot of time for meetings and talking to your, you know, you, you talk to your sponsor and you have sponsees. Like that's a very important part. I think for people to hear is that you're busy. is not just your family and work and the stuff Andy wants to do all of the time and the things that, you know, um, you do a lot for the program and you do a lot surrounding your sobriety and you work part of that busyness is you going to meetings and, and taking care of your sobriety. Cause that's a big part of it. You said, you know, staying busy keeps the voices at bay, but only for a while, if it's not, you know, if you're not doing anything for your sobriety, I just kind of want to, I, I know you do a lot, you know, you're very involved and you go to your regular meetings every week and you touch base with your sponsor, you're involved in service, so I just thought that was important. You can't just stay busy and not do anything for your sobriety. No. That will only work so long. <laughs> yeah, you, you're exactly right, Bria. Uh, and I'm, I realized today that all things in balance. And if I don't get to meetings, if I don't talk to my sponsor, if I don't have time to listen to my higher power and, and pray, uh, then the rest of it becomes fragile or dependent on that that number one uh, goal because if I, if I don't do that, I'd last a while. I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. I, I think I think my journey back to drinking could probably take some time, but it wouldn't. I wouldn't be enjoying it. I wouldn't be living life the way I enjoy it today. So so what I've got today is very precious to me, and and actually that's part of of the safety net that uh, separates me from the next drink. Um, but I know it's in me. I know I can do it. I, and, and I hold on to that. I keep that thought very real to me that there's still triggers. There's still times when I, I look at something and go, Ooh, a drink. That, that would be, that would be nice. Yeah, I could do that. Uh, and then those thoughts to, to, to me today are part of my protection mechanism. Um, they don't scare me, but they're real. Uh, and I think, uh, staying busy is part of it, but also staying active in the program and staying in the center of the herd and staying conscious of, of the, the defects and the, and the characteristics inside of me that will take me, if not checked to a completely different outcome. Um, those are all part of the protection mechanism. If I don't do this today, then I will be back to where I was 10 years ago. No question. So how do you manage if you don't mind me asking, when you travel so much, how do you manage with staying connected? Yeah, um, uh, and as, as Vicky mentioned, I, I travel a lot for work. Uh, I do find meetings if I can, and I'm going to be in a single place for uh, any length of time. But I've also uh, figured out that if I, if I stay connected through calls and through text, then I can, I can last a, a week without a meeting. Uh, I don't have to go to meeting that week, but I also know by the end of the week, I'm actually getting to the stage where I'm really looking forward to a meeting. So in the middle of the time, I'll, I'll read I'll read the big book or I'll, I'll read some literature. I'll call my sponsor as, as often as I can. Um, I listen to your podcast. Uh, I listen to <laughs> Joe and Charlie on the plane. Um, I'll do a number of different things just to stay connected in some way. And there's some places I go to where, where going to meetings is, is quite difficult. You know, I, I travel the world and not everybody is as lucky as we are in the Chicago suburbs to be able to get to meetings pretty much 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We're never more than perhaps an hour away from a meeting if, we, if I need one. Um, so when I get back from a trip, I'll do catch up meetings as well. So I have my staple meetings and then I have a, a whole sort of slew of meetings that I'll pop into, especially if I'm, I'm trying to catch up and, and get back to a, a level playing field. That's what we call uh, building our toolkit, right, Andy? So that yeah. you have lots of backup options when you're feeling a little scattered or disorganized. Yeah, exactly. It's It's part of the insurance policy that separates me from being back on the uh, on the booze and ironically the the pandemic has worked to our advantage because now we have zoom meetings all the time if you have internet access you can get to a meeting anytime yeah yeah i'm actually quite looking forward to getting back to traveling because my <laughs> my options especially overseas to uh, to stay connected just got a whole lot better well, it'll yeah. be very interesting when when the pandemic's behind us how we rebalance uh, the combination of physical and Zoom meetings. I love the Zoom meetings, but I really craved 
the getting back to physical meetings. And now today I'm, I'm doing both. Uh, and as a result, I'm able to be more active in my, my program. I would never want to say that, that Zoom meetings make AA convenient, uh, but there is an element of that. Um, but I also like the fact that I do a regular schedule of meetings because those hold me accountable. Those are my set-aside times, Saturday morning, Sunday morning, and at least one night a week. They're my set-aside times to make sure that I stay in the program. Now, if I can add in a Zoom meeting or, or a phone call, that's great. Mm. That's what we call self-care. <laughs> You're right. I like what you said that I really look forward to going to meetings. And I think that that's something that comes in spite of how we feel when we first walk in the door. I think it becomes a, a working part of someone who is really engaging in this program. And like you said, getting in the middle of the herd. It, you know, Vicki, the, the, when I was drinking, I, I, I would get, if I, if I had to stop drinking for a few hours, maybe to meet some customers or something, by the end of those few hours, I was desperate to get a drink. And I can remember the feeling of sitting at a bar, just some random bar in some random town. And as the barman's pouring the drink, I could, I felt relief coming over me and I haven't even picked up the drink yet, but just knowing that it's there, I've made it through those few hours and knowing that it's there, I could feel this overwhelming feeling of relief uh, coming over me. I actually kind of feel the same. I, I don't want to liken drinking to, to the program, but if I've gone a period of time without getting to a meeting or without fellowship of company in, in AA and I walk into the room, I can feel the same kind of feeling of relief it's like a an oasis of 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 uh, serenity or tranquility and yet they're not you walk into a meeting the average meeting and it's loud and it's noisy and but it just feels that way as i walk in the door that there's something inside me going god i've made it i'm here um this summer andy we were lucky enough to go to akron to um uh to the founder's home. And when you walk up to the house, the docents that are on the front porch say, welcome home. And that's exactly what I feel like every time I go to a meeting and I never, when the first meeting I went to, same as you, it's like, why are these people, ha you know, it's a cliche for us because everyone has the same story. When you walk in a meeting, you're like, why is everybody happy? Why are they laughing? There's nothing funny here. There's nothing about my life that's funny at this moment. And yet it is home. It is welcoming us home. And we always have a place there. It is. It really is. And, and it's shocking to me because I'm also a closet snob. Just uh, full, while we're confessing, um, and I, I would have had nothing to do with many of the people that I now call my closest friends in AA. If we'd met in a bar or if we'd met on the streets or if we'd met professionally, there's many, many people who are very close to me now that, that I've got nothing in common with <laughs> other than AA. And yet, turns out that was completely wrong as well. Uh, uh, you know, that was just all in my my mental perception or the walls that I'd built around myself. And and yeah, you know, I I really did think that I was better than everybody else. And and uh, turns out I crashed to the ground just as hard as as anybody could. I call it the universal equalizer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> common denominator. Yep, <laughs> we own it. Well, any other words of, of advice for someone that's new in the program or what you would say um, to someone about your journey, just to cap it all off? Wow. Um, so early in the program, there were a number of things that, that nearly derailed me. And one of them was when I heard other people talk about that the, uh, the the desire to drink was lifted from me that day, or or immediately, and that's, that's fantastic. I and mean, if that happens to you, and you walk in and you don't feel like drinking anymore, great. That's God working in your life. I, I love you for it. That did not happen to me. I was months and months and months still feeling that that desire to drink, still feeling like I was hanging on by my fingernails, but getting better every day, better every day. And I don't even remember when I suddenly realized that I hadn't thought about having a drink for a few days. Um, so I would just say to anybody who's who's struggling and is new in the program, just, just keep at it. Um, it will happen. It will get better. 
Um, and you know, the cliche says sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly, but, but, but it, for me, it was a very, very slow journey, but I'm glad it was because prior to that, I was on an emotional roller coaster. So if I'd have suddenly turned around and said, that's it, I never want another drink. Firstly, nobody around me would have believed me. That's for sure. And deep down, I don't think I'd have believed it either. Um, so we all have our own journeys and I, I would just urge anybody who's coming into this program to stick with it. it it's worth it. Don't, don't give up before the miracle happens was said to me so many times and I didn't believe it, but it did. It was true. So many things I didn't believe turned out to be just all in my head. Very well said. That's beautiful. And, you know, you were giving me goosebumps because I was thinking that too. How many times we hear and we're told, uh, don't give up until the miracle happens. And it is a miracle and we are all miracles. And, you know, by God's grace, we're here today. And thank you so much, Andy, for for sharing uh, your little pearls of wisdom with us. Well, thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Um, Anything else for Andy right now? Or do you guys want to get to Golden Nuggets? a nugget or two okay well let's see okay well i know everybody's going to jump on the vicky elevator shaft so i'm going to save that to for someone else <laughs> <laughs> we all wanted vicky's elevator shaft <laughs> so it sounded lovely. <laughs> but andy you said when you were talking in like a quick succession of beautiful words you said that was god's fingerprints all over it and oh my god that just just like smacked me in the head when you said that what a beautiful way a lot of times we'll call it a god wink or whatever but when something magical happens that changes the direction or the trajectory of our life that's a god fingerprint and i loved that that was beautiful and then when you said staying in the center of the herd i thought that was a great way to just to, to kind of describe how you stay grounded in your sobriety and your spirituality is because you got to stay right in the middle of it. And I loved that. Thank you. Next. Okay. I can go next, but Lynn, <laughs> those were two that I had. Um, I just, I really like fingerprints too, just because every time I hear your story and then just like knowing you, I'm like, wow, that's so totally his higher power in his life. Um, I, I mean, you said that you were ashamed to say that you're, bottom was related to losing your job and your career. I don't think there's any shame in that. Everybody has a different bottom. So you can't, there's, there's no shame in it. God will meet you where you are and will whisper to your soul what it needs to hear when it needs to hear it. And I, I don't think that um, that's anything you should feel ashamed of. Um, And then my other one was about, you know, how you stay busy to keep the voices at bay but you also stay in the center of the herd um, as your safety net. It keeps you checked. It keeps your defects at bay. Um, so yeah, those were, we had very similar nuggets. Of course, I liked Vicki's shaft as well. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, <Chelsea>. Vicki. <laughs> Sorry. Um, there were so many. I was furiously taking notes just because I, I want to be able to remember all the the amazing things that you said. Um, I really did. I love, I love how you just say, I've got a few 24 hours under my belt, you know, just so casual, but there's so much work that goes into it. And, um, you really exemplify working a good program. Um, I, I, I really related to how you said that at your high bottom, you, you weren't, you didn't want to kill yourself, but you would be okay if you got a diagnosis that, you know, like you got six months to live. That's how I felt. It was like almost, you know, I, I would be, it would be the most bizarre reaction a doctor ever said, you know, you got six months to live. All right, let's get this thing on. I know where the end is. I I can plan being a planner myself. I can plan the, the next six months and drink as much as I want and not have to worry about um, being homeless on the street. Um, but, but just the amazing things about the value. I, I don't know if you said this or Vicki said this, but with work also, you know, really showing up every day, but just feeling so hollow and empty inside. And someone said the value we put on this in society, that if you can keep all the balls in the air, we don't care how you do it. And yet, um, you know, just how devastating that could be for a person you know, where it looks on the outside, like everything's okay, but it's really not. And for you to come to that realization, 
Um, I, I just loved your message, Andy. I, I thought you you had so so many so many good things in there, and and it gave me a lot of hope too, being newer to the program. But um, thanks for joining the show. You know, ten years and and going strong, and uh, I'm I'm happy to get to know you better. And and thanks for thanks for just coming on and sharing your story. Thanks, Chelsea. My golden nuggets were that relief you feel when you're in the room is the same relief you felt when you walked in and knew you were going to have a drink. And I can completely relate to that. And I've never heard it that way, that parallel. And that is um, exactly what it is for me. And then my, my favorite one is just keep at it. Just keep at it. And if we do that, we're going to be much better. We're going to be, we're going to, you're, if we keep at this program, there's no way we can, there's no way we can fail, right? It's when we stop and we pump the brakes that, you know, we're, I like your, also your idea of catch up meetings, you know, putting some in the bank. So when we do, when we aren't able to, um, so thank you so much. You know, uh, my heart is uh, always, I'm a big Andy fan. He's, he's, uh, he's on my board of directors. So muy importante and super grateful that you're here. And just what a, what a gift that this program has given us. Thanks Vicki. I can't, I can't thank you ladies enough for inviting me on this. It's an honor and a privilege and it's just been fun. <laughs> and I guess it's it's also a little bit nerve wracking to be on the uh, the other end of it, but but it, it really has been a super fun thing to do. So thank you. Thank you. Questions, Vic? No, the questions. Capital oh, T. Questions. Capital okay. T. Oh yeah. Rapid fire questions. I'm like, I don't have any other questions. <laughs> like, no. Okay. okay. First question: What day of the week did you go to your first meeting? Saturday. Saturday. And second question is, what is the greatest gift of your recovery? Oh. One gift. The relationship I now have with my wife. Okay, go ahead, Lynn. I can't think of my other question. Okay. Um, <laughs> what's your favorite curse word? <laughs> Can't say that. You get, you get bleeped off the air. Fuck. No, we're, we're explicit. You can say it. He just said it. I, I, I'm sorry. I talked over you. Say it again. Fuck. <laughs> I think you're what blushing, you? people. I know. Could seriously be any cuter right now? <laughs> okay. Uh, what's, your, what's your favorite food? Sausages. A specific awesome. kind of sausage or just all sausages? Cumberland sausage. You're going to have to Google it. Yeah. <laughs> Cumberland sausage. You thought I was going to say Indian, but that, there you go. <laughs> that would be my second favorite food, Indian. And I thought for sure Indian was going to be your first guest. And just so everybody knows, Andy, um, <laughs> when we went to his uh, place of work, and they helped us out with our all kinds of stuff, equipment and advice and all those things. He took us out to one of the best dinners I've had in my life, honestly. And it was this cute little Indian place um, in the neighborhood where he works. And it was like going to your Indian mama's house. They just kept bringing out plates of food and plates of food. That's my favorite way to eat anyway. It's kind of family style. And we don't even know what we're getting. It's just good. And that was such an amazing experience. I was I was there last night. <laughs> it was wonderful. <laughs> I wish it wasn't so far away from me, but um, I guess uh, the last thing that we want to talk about is um, our Patreon and patron status, right? Bree, what do you call the, the $1 Patreon? Call your $1 holla. If you right. donate a dollar, we will give you a shout out on air here. We will holla at you with a dollar and if you do a three dollar patreon we have some swag for you a uh, special swag that is only available if you give us that three dollar a month um donation so we're asking if you can uh, check on our show notes it'll give you a link straight to our patreon page because we do have some costs that we have every month that right now and for the last year and almost a half year and a half almost guys that we've been paying out of pocket so it'd be really nice to have a little bit of help with those overhead so that we can keep employing tz to catch um, to clean up all of our messes because trust me we have lots of messes every episode that we depend on our editor to take care of and um, 
We are so grateful that all of you guys are here and listening to us. Vicki, what else? What am I missing? Well, I have a couple of things that I'm doing with my business. I recently yeah. just finished a little booklet that's on Amazon about sales. So any women that are in outside sales, business to business, um, this is the book for you. It just gives you, it's just a great, um, it's just all the tricks. And, and the major trick is there are no tricks. You just have to do the work and it's kind of the same as recovery. So um, I'm really excited to get that out into the world. And um, the other thing is, is I'm doing a, the, a walk through the four agreements. It's a four week workshop online that I will be doing. And there will also be a link to that. And it's just been a joy. I did it in the beginning of the pandemic and we're doing it again. So it's going to be great if you like the four agreements, if you need to know how to deal with your family before the holidays, I get to go over it again and learn a ton from doing that. So that's it for me. Um, this, I just thought of some great gift ideas, the book for the woman in your life. You don't have to be a woman to buy it, but if you have a woman in your life that might benefit from it. And honestly, I've read it um, with Vicki and I don't think it's just about sales. Yes, it is directly related to sales, but it's some really good information for anybody who wants to be successful um, in their business. And then what a fantastic gift idea of the four agreements. Uh, you know, I don't, I use that so much in my day-to-day -day life and um, I think it's just fantastic. So thank you, Vicki, for uh, being in our world and offering these special gifts that you have. I just want um, to echo what, what Lynn just said. I attended the first four agreements uh, and it was amazing. And I'm going to come again because I, I just, uh, there's so much, there's so much and it fits so nicely. I think I was on step four and five when I, when I attended that and it just, helped me, you know, four, five, six, and seven to help me see just the, what I was bringing to the equation, my character defects, the resentments holding onto that. It, it just, it fits so nicely with the program. So it's just another tool in the toolkit to help you. Vicky's underestimating the value of the book. It's not just for females either, not just for women in sales. It's sales professionals because I'm about halfway through it and I'm getting a lot out of it. So thank you, Vicky. Oh, thanks, Andy. That means a lot. It was and it's available on Amazon, right, Vic? It's on Amazon. Woo! I know. I can't believe it. You're a writer. It's called, it's called? Oh, the title is A Woman's Path to Joyful Selling. So the bottom line is, is how do we work? And it's kind of about these balls in the air. How do we work and, um, and have joy in our life? Because I worked really hard and I made a ton of money and I was a miserable person. And I had to, you know, part recovery was part of changing that. But also in recovery, I had to, I had to say, what, what, what am I doing? What I had this really great, great life that I could be living, but I wasn't living it because I was so busy working it. So it's kind of about finding your, uh, your sweet spot and how to do everyday activities to get to a place where you can come home and be home. Awesome. Well, thanks everybody. As always, we, we appreciate all of you who, who listen to us download. Um, don't forget, we always need ratings and reviews to help us up the ladder of um, visibility in podcast world. So if you got a minute or tell a friend, rate, review, subscribe. Yeah, baby. Well, have a wonderful, wonderful week. Tribe out. Tribe out. Tribe out. Tribe out. <laughs> Thanks for listening. We're so excited you're here. Please subscribe, rate, and review at Apple Podcasts. We're also on Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and Podbean. You can find us and join our tribe at Telling On Ourselves on Instagram and Facebook. Tribe out. <laughs>